From iHeart Podcast, Supreme, the battle for Roe, tells the story of the unlikely champions behind the landmark case Roe v. Wade. Starring Maya Hawk as 26-year-old lead attorney Sarah Weddington. We're challenging the Texas abortion laws in federal court. And Academy Award nominee William H. Macy as Supreme Court Justice Harry Blackman. Time is not the most important factor. Getting it right is. Listen to the podcast Supreme, the battle for Roe on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Adventures in the Spirit with Jared Lasky. Our hope is that you will be encouraged and equipped through this podcast as we have conversations with friends from around the world. You can subscribe to our podcast and go to our website, firebornministries.com, and sign up for our email list to stay up to date on Fireborn Ministries. And may you have your own Adventures in the Spirit. And now we hope you enjoy today's podcast. Guys, thank you so much for joining Adventures in the Spirit with Jared Lasky. I want you to download my free PDF, Five Prophetic Activations. The link is provided for you on the podcast notes. It's provided on the stream. It will help you draw near to Jesus and hear his voice and prophesy on the beginning level because I believe we can all hear God and we can all prophesy. And from that, I am introducing you to Liberty Turnipseed, who's got Spirit Move Ministry. She's a prophetic minister. She moves in the power of the Holy Spirit. She's been on the 700 Club and other places that God has opened up for her to prophesy, to share her story. So Liberty, thank you so much for being on Adventures in the Spirit. It's awesome to be here. It's awesome to be with you. Well, it's an honor to serve you, but Liberty, I would like to know some of your backstory of how you came to know Jesus so that anybody who's viewing or listening will get to know who you are. Okay. Well, if I go all the way back to the beginning, I was, you know, I was not raised in church. I have no religious background whatsoever. Parents divorced when I was a baby. It just kind of, you know, went downhill from there. A lot of divorce moving around. My mom was an alcoholic. And so she regained custody of me around age 11. And then pretty much everything, you know, went from bad to worse at that point. I went through many turbulent years of my teenage years with her. Uh, It was being homeless, not having money, not having food, you know, and I was not raised with any kind of ministry background, nothing. And so it was probably about a year before I was radically saved. I just began to feel like I needed to pray, which was weird because I was not raised like that whatsoever. Like that was, it was party central in my mom's household. So, you know, as, as I'm, As I went through all the things that I went through and, you know, became homeless when my mom kind of kicked me out and chose my stepdad over me and, and a lot of these hard things I had to go through moving forward, it just went from bad to worse. I was basically, you know, living on the street. I didn't have anyone or anything except for, you know, myself at that point. And it's interesting because I never felt like I was spiritual at all. I mean, I didn't even, you know, I had no concept of the Jesus of the Bible, or, you know, I mean, I didn't know anything. And so, you know, as I went on, and uh, I just began to feel this tug from the Holy Spirit, and it doesn't always happen that way for everyone, but things had gotten really bad. I was 17, just got married. We were, neither of us were saved. It was, it was bad, you know, drug abuse, drinking, all that. And I was just, it was just so bad. And I had this defining moment before I really began to pray. We were homeless, which was nothing new for me, living on the river in a tent. And, you know, my defining moment was basically, I sat there and I said to the God that 
I really didn't think existed. I was an atheist, full blown. I will tell you, I preached it from the rooftops. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in, there is no God. And I didn't say this, but I was thinking in my head, if there was, my childhood wouldn't have been so terrible. My mom wouldn't have, you know, everything wouldn't, you know, what, what a lot of people think about God, like he can control that. He can't control what other people do and so, and their choices. But in my mind as a kid, I was thinking, you know, there can't be a God because this is terrible, you know? And, but my defining moment was when, and I know it was the Holy Spirit. He was already wooing me. And he said, do you want to be your mother? Because I was already becoming my mother. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is, I was already living the party life. That's what I learned. She was, she was giving, you know, um, marijuana to smoke when I was 12 and provided the liquor. And, you know, uh, there was a lot of the drinking and all that, even though I was a kid, she didn't, she, there was no boundaries. And so because of that, I just began to become her not even knowing that that was actually what was happening. And so my defining moment was when I was like, and I know it was God, you know, asking me, do you want to become your mother? And I was just like, no, I don't want to be my mom. I don't want to live that life. At this time, my mom was probably died young at age 51. But at this time, she was probably 41 or something, 40 years old. And I was looking back at her life and God was showing me. And I know now, but then I didn't know what was happening. I just knew I was being enlightened by, you know, uh, the reality of my future. And I would think back to the life my mom lived and, and how it looked and how she was her age had accomplished. Nothing was still an alcoholic, still a drug addict, didn't even own a home homeless, you know, I mean, and here I am married, still living the same way. Nothing had changed, even though I had kind of gotten away from her at this point. And I just said, no, I don't want to do that. And so at that time is when I began to, to just pray. I would, I would pray. I would, my husband had no idea we were in party land. So he had no idea that I would go to sleep at night and I would just say, okay, God, if you exist out there, something's up and I need you, you know, because I, I will not be my mom. I'm not going to do that. And I don't want to live that life. And if you're real, then you need to help me because I don't want to live this life. And so that went on for several months. And, and then it was time to move into the apartment. We were finally not homeless. And we moved into the apartment where we were at, where I was saved. And by this time I had months of having this conversation with the God that didn't exist every single night. Okay, God, if you're real, this is what's happening. You know, we're living in a tent on the river, you know, and I just began to say, you know, if there's another life for me, you need to lead me there because at this point, I don't believe you're real. And, but I, I'm at the end of my rope and I have no other hope at this point. I, I've got to do something. So I had like three months of praying. Well, then we move into this apartment. And what was really weird is I began to shop and go around to, you know, yard sales to get stuff for the apartment to decorate. And I kept seeing all this Jesus stuff. And it was just really, really funny how just God was already wooing me. And so I finally said to him, I said, God, I said, if you're really real, then start showing yourself to me. And that night, literally, I'm not joking you. I've, I've got books of stories, but that night, literally I was sitting there watching TV, had never even heard of it. And next thing, you know, touched by an angel show comes on <laughs> and I was like a kid, you know, but I was like, why did I haven't, ne have I never noticed this show, you know? And so I watched the episode and I'm like, huh. And so literally it was that subtle of, I just began to notice things and um, we moved into the apartment. My grandmother had given me a big family Bible. When we got married, she knew why she gave it to me. 
And so she was a faithful believer, uh, although my mom, of course, wasn't. So she gave me this Bible and I still carried it with me, even though I didn't believe I had it with me. And so the day that I got saved, which they featured my life story on 700 Club was because I was saved watching 700 Club. I didn't even know 700 Club existed. And I was flipping through our channels that were free. And next thing you know, Pat Robertson pops up and I'm like, huh, what's this show? And I was just interested because they were talking about God. And I was slowly getting there, even though I knew nothing. And I really believed nothing, but I just began to notice him in everything. And it was just really weird how I began to notice him. And I noticed him in commercials. I mean, literally, he was just waking me up to that he is the God that is real, that he's the God that exists. And um, I would see commercials and say to my husband, why have I never noticed that commercial before? And it would have something to do with God. And I just was having all these God conversations. I didn't realize I was having, but I was. And he was slowly just bringing me in. and. We were in a terrible car accident first time. This was right before my salvation, the story that's on 700 Club, basically. And this was the final sign where I knew that I knew. So that's why I was so ready that day. Um, We were in a terrible car accident. The devil, that was his first attempt to take me out. Of course, at the time, I didn't know that. I didn't have a recognition of, oh, you know, the devil's trying to do it or whatever. But we were in a really, really bad accident. And in that car accident, I was not buckled up. And the way that the accident happened, I should not have lived. And so basically this is my story, which I was not able to tell this on the 700 club because they, you know, I have to fit between two commercials. So my story is like 10 minutes. We, I get in this, we get in this car accident and I see this other Jeep coming and we're in the left-hand turn lane and we're getting ready to turn left. They're going straight. And I don't, we don't even know how it happened, but we went to turn my husband had been drinking. He was sloshed. So we were just drunk driving out, you know, being partiers or whatever. And I was in the seat next to him and I was not buckled up. And all of a sudden I see this Jeep coming and, and my side of the truck was going to get hit. I was a, a goner basically. And I saw that, that I was going to, I was going to be hit on my right side. That's the side that the truck was going to be hit on. And so I lifted my arms to, to cover myself. Cause I knew I was probably going to go through the windshield. So I put my arms up in front of my face and my head to brace myself. I felt myself fly off of the seat two feet right before I got to the point of hitting the windshield. Something blocked me Wow! and put, I'm going to get emotional. Woo. Go for it. Be you. Um, Holy spirit. Something, something blocked me and pushed me back in my seat and we were hit and I was still sitting in my seat without a scratch. And when we got out of, and then we, we rolled off the road. And when I got out of the vehicle, we looked, the truck was hit on the left side, not the right side. There is no way because we turned left in front of them. And it was the left front light of the, the headlight is what was crashed. And we, we were, we turned left in front of them. They should have hit the whole right side of the truck. They didn't, they didn't. And the truck was still running and their vehicle, their, 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 it was a Jeep. Their radiator was smashed in the whole front. All their stuff was leaking out. They were all wrecked up. And here we were, the truck somehow, and I believe, I know it was my angel. I know it was, had turned the truck wow. to where it barely, it, it doesn't even make sense how it even happened the way it did. All I know is, is when I was about to go through the windshield, something stopped me and put me back into my seat and held me there as though I was buckled in. and. We pull over and um, we're there. And of course, by now you have to understand uh, we're, we're in a small town. The cops know us. 
they know us by name by this time, you know, those was bratty teenagers out being brats, you know? And so we, we pull over and of course the cops get called. And so the cops come and, uh, they're scratching their head and they're like, what is going on? Like, you know, the whole right side should be smashed up. Like you should be going in an ambulance to the hospital. And we weren't. And so they were so dumbfounded. They just said, we don't know what's going on here. There is no way your vehicle could have been hit on the left side the way that it was hit. So he just said, everybody just needs to go home because he hadn't, he had no way to describe the accident because it, there, it wasn't plausible how it happened. There was no way that it could have happened the way it happened. It just physically could not have. And at that time, I wasn't quite aware until later, it was like three or four days later that we had the conversation with my husband. And I was like, I need to tell you what happened in the truck because he didn't know. And he was smashed drunk. So he wouldn't have you know, been able to know anything at that point. But, and I said, I said, something protected me and something kept me from going through the windshield. And that was just a little while before that day, he was at work and I was sitting in, in our little apartment and I turned on the 700 club and I was watching it. And then at the very end, he said, if you want to say the sinner's prayer, then, you know, pray with me and repeat this after me. And I still had my grandmother's Bible over on the shelf. And I just was like, I'm going to do this, you know? And so I sat there on the floor on my knees and I said the sinner's prayer. And as soon as I said it, I felt really, really tired and kind of weird. And I was like, that's really weird. And so I got up and I went and laid on the couch and I just felt really, really tired. Like, like I had just worked out or ran five miles. I just felt exhausted. So I laid down and next thing you know, I, I, I become aware in my sleep that something's wrong. Something is muzzling my mouth and holding me down and I couldn't breathe. And so I just began to rebuke in the name of Jesus. And if you go back and watch my story, you'll see some of what led up to that. My husband's um, parents are Christians. And so they basically said, go talk to the pastor because we think this is demonic. And he had told me, you have to rebuke in the name of Jesus Christ um, when you feel these attacks, you know, coming. And so in my sleep, somehow I knew to do that. And I just began to say Jesus over and over like 20 times as loud as I could until I could get it all the way out of the muzzle. And as soon as the thing came off my mouth and I was able to say really loud in the apartment, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. As soon as I was able to do that, demons left. Like I I know I was possessed because they left. And and I don't know that I described it this way on the 700 club, but those of you who who have a history with horror movies, Freddy Krueger and his little glove that he has that that's like metal and he would scrape things. And that was his big thing in the movies was he would scrape stuff. And so, and that's literally what the demon did as it was leaving. It screamed at the top of its lungs. It screeched like, man, you just accepted Christ. I have to go and I have to leave. I mean, it was literally screaming as it left in anger that it had to leave. And right after the screaming, I mean, it was like a really loud screech. And, and then it slowly got quieter and quieter. And then next thing you know, I hear the metal scrape the back of my couch, but there's, it was a couch. So there was no metal, but I felt, and I, and I heard the screeching and the metal scraping, like as though we were, I was in a Freddy Krueger movie. He, he, the screaming. And then all of a sudden he went and scratched the couch and then was gone. And then I felt the whole thing lift. And that was like his last thing, like, you know, man, he, he did all the manifesting of the screaming. And then he scraped the back of my couch to be like, 
you know, man, you've made me mad, you know, and I have yeah. to leave. And, and then when my, and then, so I, it was such a powerful moment. They couldn't also put all this in the story. Um, I believe they did touch on it. Um, but as soon as that happened and I, and he, the screeching stopped and I knew that, that the demons were gone, I got up, I went and grabbed my grandmother's Bible and I held it to my chest and I said, Oh God, because at the time I didn't know what was actually happening. I was just like, oh man, you know, I, I know now, but then I didn't know. I was just like, oh man, that was evil and terrible. And I was being choked and I couldn't breathe. And so I had my grandmother's Bible and I just held the Bible close and I began to pray and cry out to God. And I said, God help me, you know, I don't know what's going on. And, and then he just began to speak to me. The Holy Spirit just began to speak to me. And of course, at the time I had no idea um, and was telling me to go through my house and what to remove and to get out of the house, everything that was demonic. And so I went through the house. I, I got a garbage bag. I went through, I got all the music, everything he highlighted to me and my heart, as I shared this part of the story, because I couldn't go into all that. My heart is not to judge music or to tell someone, you know, that music's bad. You know, that's, although we do, you know, teach our kids to, you know, listen to Christian music and that kind of thing. But a lot of people will say that that's being judgmental. But I know from my own experience that day, I know what the Holy Spirit told me. I had no history with religion. I had no way of knowing what was good or bad. How would I have known? I wasn't raised with Christianity. I was never told oh, that's a, that band is evil and demonic and their music is demonic. I never heard those words my whole life because I'd lived in a demonic household. So with that in mind, you know, literally it was the Holy Spirit telling me. And I went through all the music and um, any clothing I had from concerts that I had attended, like Ozzy, Ozzy Osbourne's concert. He was like, the shirt's got to go. And, you know, any apparel that I bought there, and you have to understand. So I'm saying this to you, if you're listening and, you know, you're young and, you know, and you feel like the church wants to judge you or people want to judge you. I'm here. I'm here to tell you as a prime example that, that you have to understand. Yes, there is a part of that. We don't believe in legalism or anything like that, but right. you have to understand there are things that the Holy spirit doesn't like, and he's not pleased with. And I don't say that in any kind of way, but I'm letting you know, if you're not saved and you're listening to this, the people really truly are not trying to judge you. And as I say this, I don't say this as any kind of judgmental statement, because you have to understand at that moment, I was not religious whatsoever. I knew nothing about the Bible. I had nothing to judge anything on, except for in that moment, what God was telling me was evil and get it out of my house. And so uh, books, music, all of that the CDs, everything went into a big garbage bag. And um, I went in and took it out to the dumpster and chucked it. And I called my mother-in-law and told her what had happened. And she said, did you burn it? Cause you know, sometimes you can see demons flee. She just thought it was cool and funny. And, you know, she's like, did demons flee, you know? And I said, oh yeah, they fleed. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that was basically my initial salvation experience. And so because of that, you couldn't have paid me. You couldn't have paid me enough money to ever turn back from Christ, because I knew at that point that he was all powerful. I knew that, that, I mean, they had to leave. As soon as I accepted Christ, they had to leave. They literally had no more authority over me, over my life. And I knew then that there was power in the name of Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, that led me to be like, okay, so there is a heaven, there is a hell, there are demons, there are angels. And I'm beginning to figure this all out in my head. Yeah. And with the knowledge that Christ really is real. And so when people see me or they follow my ministry or they get saved under the ministry and they're like, you're just so real, you know, you tell like it is. 
I do. But on one hand, I will tell you, I don't say this from any kind of religious upbringing or anything. Literally, I know what it feels like for the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to come in and literally rock your world. And so once that has happened, and it doesn't happen that way for everyone, but once that has happened, you can never go back. And this is the literally the passion that drives me. And I literally became a Jesus freak. And that song, um, Jesus freak from DC talk. Yeah, that was my jam. And, (laughs) and so it was like, literally, I became a Jesus freak. And I will tell you this, you know, and I'll throw this out there, you know, before we continue on with whatever other prophetic things we're going to talk about. But if you're watching this, and you're watching everything happening in the world, and you're wondering if maybe some of the things your grandmammy told you, or Somebody, your aunt who used to take you to Sunday school or used to take you to church and, and, you know, whatever your family doesn't attend, whatever it is, whatever way it is for you right now, where you're at, or maybe you've never thought there was a God at all. Just like I didn't think there was, I'm here to tell you that there is a God. I am living proof that there is a God. He is real. He is all powerful. He is the only one that can save your life, change your life. And, and remove you from whatever has been put upon you through your, your life that you haven't had Christ in your life, whatever that is. And, you know, I, I can't even, I'll tell you, I could, I could preach all day on, on just the power, the power of Christ. And I'll try not to do that. But um, I, I literally, if I could get people to feel what I feel. And those of you watching, if you could feel what I feel, you have to know, even if you haven't felt it yet, that power, that anointing, that Holy Spirit love is available to you in a powerful way. And it's real. And it's not judgment. It's not hate. It's not anger. It's not legalism. It is literally a relationship with a savior who, before you were born, made a choice to die for you. And it's all real. I'm telling you, it's all real. It's all real. It's real. I'm Rochelle Lasky, co-founder of Fireborn Ministries. And recently, many of you have been asking how you can partner with our ministry through giving. I want to share with you something God has laid on my heart over the last few years. I've had vivid dreams in which sex trafficking victims are rescued, rehabilitated, and they encountered Jesus. My husband Jared and I knew these leadings were from the Lord, but we didn't know what our part was in the solution until recently. Fireborn has just created a brand new partnership with Tom Stammen and Impact Ministries International, and we are raising funds to rescue victims of sex trafficking in Honduras and in the United States. If you would like to partner with us or give a donation of any amount, 100% of funds go straight to these life-changing endeavors. You can go to paypal.me forward slash Fireborn Ministries and give directly toward rescuing sex trafficking victims. Or go to our website, firebornministries.com and click on give to see other worthy projects we are supporting. Thank you so much for praying for us and partnering with Fireborn Ministries. Amen. So that's a very powerful testimony. So from your salvation experience, the devil tried to knock out your voice. So let's fast forward a little bit and talk about your process into the prophetic. Could you share some of that? Yeah. Um, So basically what kind of led me to that was for the first five or six years of my salvation, I had an extreme amount of demonic attack and backlash. And I know that that's big words for those watching for me to explain what, what I'm saying with that. But the devil was not happy that I gave my life to Christ. So the t- attack was on. 
And it was one thing after another. He would wake me up in the night with massive fear. Um, I would have sleepless nights for about three years after my salvation, which I never had a problem sleeping. I never really had a problem with anxiety. Um, and so that was the start of me recognizing the spiritual battle side of everything concerning deliverance and all that. And so my very first experience, you know, and then I'll move on, but it was the third year into my salvation and it was another sleepless night. He was waking me up, trying to make me have night terrors and all that. It was like three years in and I knew the power of Christ, but I hadn't fully, I hadn't been taught how to walk it out. I, I didn't have any idea how to even really take authority other than my original salvation story and the demonic fight that I kind of had before that. And so, you know, I didn't even know, you know, how do I battle this? How do I get rid of it? And so it wasn't until that it was about three years in that I got up in the middle of the night and I said, it was about 3am. And I said, devil, I'm not doing this anymore with you. I'm seriously done. You're a liar. You have no power. Jesus is all powerful. And I went into my bathroom and I closed the door. So I wouldn't wake up my husband and I stood in the bathroom and I pointed at the air and I said, I said, devil, I said, you're done. I said, I'm not doing this anymore. I bind you. I command you to leave my house. You will no longer take another sleepless night from me. And I canceled the assignment of fear. And I just did whatever I knew to do to tell it to leave my house. And, I, and I'm not recommending the listeners do this, but this is what I did. Okay. I said, because I was off the street. So I, I was never like rude or foul, but I did tell the devil like it was, I was straight up with him. And so I said, you want to show your face right now, show your face in, in, in my, in my bathroom right here, we're going to duke it out. I said, cause you're not doing this anymore. You're not taking another, you know, night sleep for me. And, um, I told him to leave and I never had a problem sleeping after that every now and then he would try to come in, but I would recognize it within about an hour into my sleep. And I would command the spirit of fear to leave. And at this time, see at this, I had no idea. I was not taught deliverance. I had no idea. I, I had no idea about any of that necessarily, like what demons names were or anything like that. And so I was, I only knew by what he was telling me, what the Holy spirit would tell me as I go. So it was all just revelation from him um, because I wasn't being taught anything necessarily other than, you know, we were, we were in a spirit filled AG church and all that. And so we, we had the Holy spirit influence, but we weren't necessarily being taught like, you know, about rebuking or deliverance. And so I had no idea. So this was my learning process and it was God beginning to prepare me to become who he was going to call me to be. And so that happened. And then he took me through a journey of uh, just being so hungry for him. I mean, I was reading every day. I was up early. I was praying. I was reading my Bible. I was reading every book I could get my hands on that. I felt like he, the Holy spirit would lead me. And, and I would just know that I need to read this book and he would tell me. Amen. And um, so then I would, I would go and I would read it, you know? And so he got me going in the, in the direction of Joyce Meyer and John Bevere and, you know, Francis Frangipane. And he, all these people started coming into my life, authors and, and God was leading me. And so he was leading me in the direction of me becoming prophetic, you know, being called to deliverance ministry, walking in the power of the Holy ghost. I mean, all that, but it was a process of me having my, this was as I began to recognize my authority fully in Christ, then as I grew in him, then he began to peel everything off of me, all the pain from what my mother did to me, everything I had to be delivered. And so then he, I began my deliverance process, but instead of running from it or being afraid, I just 
I just leaned more into God. Amen. I just spent more, I just spent more time with him, hung out with him more, read more of the word. If I could take a moment, I mean, I would be cooking dinner and I would stop and I would read a chapter, you know? And so this was literally, it's like he had consumed my whole being and I was a fireball full of passion. And um, I wanted anything that was a hindrance to be stripped away. I wanted, I mean, uh, and it was just there. Like I just wanted to be pure and holy before him, however that looked. Um, I didn't want to carry anything from my childhood with me, all the demonic attachments, thought processes, habits, all that. And so that went on for about five years. And then all this time we're, we're being trained in ministry. We were kids pastors. Then we became youth pastors. By the time I was 30 years old, we were full-time youth pastors. Um, and then we ran the kids ministry. Uh, you know, so we did that. And, um, you know, so all along I'm, I'm serving in ministry, I'm doing all this stuff. And um, I'm going to school, then I'm getting my credentials through Assembly of God and doing all the things that, you know, um, that you do. And so as I'm doing that, I'm beginning to notice when I start praying, when I'm interceding, uh, he would, out of nowhere, I would just be in the middle of the day. And all of a sudden I would get a, an urgency that this couple at our church, whoever they were, you know, you need to pray for them. Like there's, right. there's an issue happening, like pray for them right now. So then I would go to, I would, I began to learn the cues from God. And so he began to teach me my intercession side. And so I became a prayer warrior before I became anything else. Now I will tell you, I already was probably moving in the prophetic. I just didn't know it. Right. No one had taught me about the prophetic ministry. No one had taught me about necessarily fully. I, by that time, I probably knew, you know, the fivefold ministry and you know, apostles and teachers and pastors and, you know, prophets and all that. But I didn't understand whether I had the gift or if I was walking in it. I would have never even thought that necessarily. I was always little liberty, but I had a huge seeking after God. I mean, I can't even, I can't even explain to you how my life revolved around just serving him, getting to know him more, spending time with him. And so then, like I said, he would call me away and say, put like these two people on my mind. And I would be like, okay. And then he would let me like get irritated. So in case some of you are, are listening to this and you're like, so now I know why that happens to me. Yeah. You'll begin to feel weird, like annoyed, like you need to take a walk or you need to like, I don't know, like something's like ruffling you. It's God letting you know, he's probably calling you away to pray. And so I would begin to do that. I would begin to be obedient to that prop prompting and I would go and pray. And when I would pray, he would tell me things and I would pray them prophetically. I still had no idea that I was a prophetic intercessor. I had no idea he had birthed that gift in me and was, was moving me through that. But I would, he would give me someone and tell me to intercede for them. He would tell me what's going on with them. Like not completely. I wouldn't totally read their mail. He would give me a word of knowledge or something to let me know that they, you know, that, that there's a problem. And he wouldn't tell me their problem, but he would, he would guide me on how to pray for them in that moment. So then I'd go away, intercede for 15 minutes, and then go back and finish my day. Thank you so much for listening to our conversation in Adventures in the Spirit. We hope that this podcast encouraged and inspired you to press into Jesus and launches you into your own adventure. You can stay up to date with Fireborn Ministries by going to our website, firebornministries.com, and like us on Facebook. And may you have your own adventures in the Spirit. 
From iHeart Podcast, Supreme, the battle for Roe, tells the story of the unlikely champions behind the landmark case, Roe v. Wade. Starring Maya Hawk as 26-year-old lead attorney, Sarah Weddington. We're challenging the Texas abortion laws in federal court. And Academy Award nominee, William H. Macy, as Supreme Court Justice, Harry Blackman. Time is not the most important factor. Getting it right is. Listen to the podcast, Supreme, the battle for Roe, on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.